The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. On behalf of Memorial Church and Harvard Divinity School, I welcome you to this service in which we celebrate the meaning and message of the life of Helmut Kester. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, companion of all who seek you and seeker of all who turn away from you, draw near to us that we may draw near to you and grant us the grace to love and to serve you that we may find in your will our true freedom. We turn to you in this hour of grief and remembrance, yearning for the comfort of your love in our midst. Grant that we might find the peace that passes understanding, even as we are united in commemoration. Amen. And now hear these words of assurance from Holy Scripture. I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live you will live also. Now, hope that is not seen is, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. This is the word of the Lord.
A reading from the Apostle Paul to the Christians of Thessalonia. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, and with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. The word of the Lord. Per his wishes for this celebration, a pastor of University Lutheran Church is here to lift up the ministry and service of Helmut Kester as someone who was ordained. I debated whether to vest. I decided to wear my alb and my stole because Helmut would have had something critical to say about that. The very last time he preached at University Lutheran, a year ago, Helmut remarked that Martin Luther had opposed the wearing of frippery by priests, nodding towards me in this of and a very bright Easter stole. Helmut's path to the donning of the more somber garb of a German Lutheran pastor, the black Talar and white Beffian included physical affliction and a sudden opening of a prison gate, shades of the Apostle Paul. As a mere 19-year-old veteran of the defeated German army, Helmut found himself abruptly freed from an allied POW camp Unlike Paul's escape from the Macedonian prison, Helmut's sudden release was less earth-shaking, but no less perhaps attributable to the work of the Holy Spirit. He was a sickly prisoner of war. He suffered from some unidentifiable and persistent malady. Rather than investing in his recovery, the Allies cut him loose. The prison gates opened, and Helmut walked to the nearest university in Marburg, and there he knocked on the door. Unlike Rudolf Bultmann, his Marburg teacher, and others like Karl Barth, Helmut was not the son of a pastor who was the son of a pastor, and so on. He was not raised in the rarefied high culture of the German Pfarrhaus. Rather, Helmut's parents were church-going people, and they raised a church-going son. 
In the classroom, Monday through Friday, Professor Kester taught. And then Sunday after Sunday, Pastor Kester went to church, seated not beside a pulpit or an altar, but in the front pew underneath the pulpit with his entire family. Five years of academic training with Bultmann, and Helmut emerged ready for two years in the parish trenches as a pastor in training. Equipped with a demythologized gospel and a commitment to relentlessly parsing the difference between blind religiosity and humble gratitude in the presence of the unconditional love of God. There are worse tools for helping communities to heal, and I cannot begin to imagine the vastness of the need for healing that confronted Herr Vicar Kester in those war-crushed congregations of Hanover and Hamburg. In 1956, Helmut was ordained to the Office of Word and Sacrament, honored to have the Bishop Hans Lilja lay hands upon his head, Lilja, who had been one of the first German pastors to speak out against the Nazis. In contrast to most ordained Lutheran ministers, Pastor Kester's service cannot be summarized with a list of parishes served. Such a list would both be too short and too long. In 1959, Helmut came to Harvard and to Unilu and stayed. His ordination status was what church bureaucrats designate as a special call that is a call to higher education, to a university lectern rather than a church pulpit. Yet in some real measure, like all of you who are on the faculty of Harvard Divinity School and all the other divinity schools that I know are represented in this room, like all of you, Helmut served all the faith communities that his students would go out to serve. And if these students went on to preach a gospel that refuses to duck intellectual, social, and ethical challenges, then those faith communities have been by him well served. For 60 years, Helmut served University Lutheran from the front pew on the pulpit side. Certainly from time to time, he did preach and preside at Unilu, most notably every Christmas morning to relieve his pastors of the burden of yet another holiday service so that they could be home with their families, Helmet came and brought his. In the member recruiting sense, Helmet was also an evangelist, recommending to one of his students that if she intended to specialize in the worship lives of ancient Christians, it wouldn't hurt to affiliate with a community of living Christians. And while he did not preside weekly at the table of Holy Communion, Helmut has left his mark on that liturgy at Unilu. For whenever communion is served, celebrated at Unilu, the, pri the presider, by Kester decree, must remember to amend the wording in the book. Instead of, in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and so on, the Unilu Kester version goes, in the night when Jesus was handed over. Helmut's explanation, 
Handed over is a better translation of the Greek and it gets Judas off the hook for bearing all responsibility. In closing, I offer the most pastoral words. I was privileged to hear Helmut speak over and over every Sunday during Unilu's time of ritual greeting. Clasping every hand, his bright blue eyes shining. He looked you right in the eye and he said, the peace of Christ be with you always. And you knew it would be. seminar meetings in Cambridge and the trips to Greece and Turkey that followed these seminars. I remember very well the first one, which was to Corinth and southern Greece many years ago, and all the subsequent ones, including Macedonia and Turkey. Without this invitation, I would never have seen many archaeological sites in Turkey and would never have met many of the outstanding students and adjunct faculty on these trips, such as Professor Klaus Nolan of the Pergamon Excavation, Professor Klaus uh, Balser and Professor Haralmus Lockertzis. Among other things, the trip and trips enabled me to refine my usage of modern Greek and Turkish languages. The trips were marvelous fun, and Helmut was always at the center of everything, whether it's Sardis and Ephesus, or at remote places such as Aliani near Pergamon, or in southern Turkey such as Xanthus, Kaunas, or Potter. swam in the chilly northern Aegean uh, waters and had a, enjoyed a good meal at the Apocalypse Pizzeria. And needless to say, our many visits to Muzaffer Tunch's wonderful rug shop in Kushadasi, Turkey. I remember birthday parties at 12 Flintlock Road in Lexington with gatherings of graduate students, colleagues like Bill Graham and Gordon Kaufman and Frank Moore Cross and we helped Helmut blow out the candles and sang lively Christmas carols because his birthday was very close to Christmas. We always enjoyed the doctoral exams in his office where the candidate, the trembling candidate, would be placed in a Harvard chair with a sign that read, Hot Seed. <laughs> Afterwards, we would drink the successful candidate's health in a good Greek restaurant with strong retzina. Another bumper sticker on Helmut's car was powered by Uzo. <laughs> Helmut also made it point to take all the students out to a good Greek restaurant to accustom them to Greek cuisine. Thank you, Helmut, for the myriad ways in which you touched our lives and for the privilege of joining with you in instructing so many undergraduate and graduate students at Harvard who have gone on to illustrious careers either in academic programs or the ministry. We shall all miss you very much and shall never forget what you did for us, for Harvard University, and for the broader world.
Dear Gisela, dear Reinhild and El, dear Almut and Terry, dear colleagues, friends, uh, fellow students, um, it is an honor to be here. And it is no exaggeration to say that Helmut Kuster changed my life. 20 years ago, I moved from the Netherlands to study here with Helmut, and I'm so grateful for everything that he has did, done for me. Helmut was deeply learned in the textual and material world of the ancient Mediterranean, generous in sharing that encyclopedic knowledge with his students and friends, a tireless and dedicated teacher, an effective organizer, a wonderful joke teller, a blunt opinionator, a lover of good meals and beverages, a heavy smoker, a gifted tenor and violinist, a committed church going, and for Gisela and their four children, a loving and proud husband and father. Helmut left a treasure of scholarship. I cannot go, of course, and mention it all, but from his ancient Christian gospels to his monumental introduction to the New Testament and many, many more articles and books. Before his death, Helmut asked me to complete his almost finished Hermeneia commentary on Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. His commentary, as far as he has written it, ends halfway through the final chapter of the letter at uh, for, for, chapter 5, verse 11, a passage that he also chose to have read at his funeral in January and part of the passage that Professor Etrich just read. I was struck that his last words in his book so far emphasized the importance of community. For building a community of scholars and friends was also what Helmut strived for in his own life and work. A scholar of ancient gospel traditions, Helmut fittingly had an excellent memory for anecdotes, especially about his German professors. And he would tell these jokes always in a bilingual fashion with the, with the punchline in ger German first and if necessary, repeating it in English. One of Helmut's favorite jokes that he still taught me, uh, taught me for the manyest time when I last saw him in October was about his teacher Rudolf Bultmann and it involved smoking. Now apparently Bultmann was a pipe smoker and he did not appreciate people who smoked cigarettes. And I think that at, at that time Helmut still smoked a pipe. But during one of the seminars, Bultmann passed around his tobacco. This was in the years after the war, so tobacco was scarce and expensive. And one of the fellow students asked whether he could roll a cigarette with it. And Bultmann answered, Meinetwegen, aber rauchen Sie es gefälligst zu Hause. All right, but please smoke it at home. Helmut was blunt in that typical northern German fashion. You always knew exactly where you stood with him. My favorite encounter with Helmut's directness happened when I called him one night. And you always had to call Helmut after his evening nap, but before he was going to watch the 11 o'clock uh, news and nightline with Ted Koppel, which he watched religiously. I don't remember what my telephone call was about, but in the middle of the conversation, Helmut abruptly said, uh, yes, Annemarie, I have to hang up. There is someone more important calling me now. <laughs> in his position as an influential Harvard professor, Helmut might have looked down on his doctoral students, but he did not, on the contrary. At the first meeting of his large lecture classes, he introduced his teaching fellows, not as teaching fellows, but as his junior colleagues. And he took us out for dinner every week. We always, of course, I mean, it's very familiar, right? We went to the same restaurant, Shangshou, at Mass Ave, and Helmut always ordered the same food, but those crispy, uh, peppery, salty, crispy shrimp were actually delicious and he definitely always ordered the same drink. One martini straight up, not but one, but with two olives. Three times I was so fortunate to take the renowned seminar, Archaeology and the World of the New Testament with my beloved teacher, David Mitt, and also and Mimi Bonds. And the best part of this class was, of course, the five-week trip to Greece and Turkey. On one trip, also Francois Beaufort and Karen King joined us um, 
Helmut stayed with us in student affordable hotels, used public transportation in Greece, and drove the van himself in Turkey. And if necessary, he discreetly helped out students with financial needs. On these archaeological sites in the burning Greek and Turkish midday heat, surrounded by his students and, his, and archaeologists, many of whom had become his friends, Helmut was fully alive. He had the ability to combine that big classical and Christian textual world in which he was trained in Germany with the material world of archaeology, each equally informing his questions and insights. For me, studying ancient sites and learning the tools to interpret their archaeological and textual remains during these travels rank among the most enjoyable and rewarding academic experiences and have profoundly influenced me as a scholar. I remember with great fondness the really countless meals Helmut shared with me and the wonderful conversations we had. With Gisela at their home on Sunday afternoons and then often also making music, Gisela, it was so wonderful. Uh, at Thanksgiving, weekly during the semester at Shangshou and during the long trips in Greece and Turkey and then also with my husband, Jan Willem, and my parents, where Helmut and Gisela and my parents would treat us uh, alternatively. And finally, perhaps most importantly, Helmut modeled for me how to be a critical Bible scholar and an active church member, how to combine that difficult scholarship and faith, and that is a very precious gift. I am deeply grateful for all that his, he has taught me, and I miss him, but I realize that someone more important than me has called him home. This reading is from the Gospel of Thomas and from the Gospel of John. These are Jesus sayings from the many in the uh, congregation who were Helmut students. I know that you know that he would say that those from the Gospel of Thomas are early and independent. Because you have drunk, you have become intoxicated from the bubbling spring which I have measured out. The one who will drink from my mouth will become like me and I myself shall become like him or her and the things that are hidden will be revealed to that one. And from the Gospel of John, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his or her heart shall flow rivers of living water.
a reading from Professor Kester's Paul and His World. Today, our Western societies, especially in the United States, suffer from a self-righteousness that is based upon individualistic piety and morality. Discriminating barriers are erected with reference to often misinterpreted biblical commandments in order to document the self-righteousness of the individual. Such self-righteousness is then translated in a frightful fashion into the superiority of a powerful Christian nation. Whoever rejects such Christian moralism does not gain anything through the flight into the world of Jesus. The result of such flight is nothing more than a consciousness of divine freedom for the individual. But there is no vision of a new community of justice for all, equality, acceptance of those who are different, and loving endurance of those who do not agree with us. The Apostle Paul has been able to translate the story of Jesus, not Jesus' words, into a vision of a new community. It is time for New Testament scholarship to liberate Paul from the traditional interpretation. Righteousness of God is in Paul's writing, not the grace of God that makes the individual sinner into a righteous person. Rather, in Paul's understanding, what matters is God's creation of justice in this world through the suffering and the cross of his son, which opens up for all people the freedom to break down all barriers and to create a new community through fulfilling the commandment of love. Hello, everybody. It's wonderful to be here. And I'd like to thank you, first of all, on behalf of the whole family for attending this event. The purpose of this gathering is, of course, to celebrate my father's intellectual and scholarly achievements. And there are many people here far better able to do, do this than I am. But my father did share many stories from key moments of his life with us children. And so I would like to share with you his story of how, how he came to study theology under Rudolf Bultmann, which of course set him on his trajectory as New Testament scholar. As Kathleen has already indicated, the obituary published by Harvard states that, quote, after his release from POW camp, Kester studied theology under Rudolf Bultmann at the University of Marburg, unquote. I don't think many bios of theologians these days begin with time in a POW camp. But there is, in fact, in my father's biography, a direct link between POW camp and his enrollment as a student of theology at Marburg University. Again, as Kathleen has already mentioned, through one of those strange accidents of history, in October of 1945, my father was released from POW camp in the American zone of occupied Germany near the city of Marburg. He was free, but in limbo, with no contact to his family and with nothing except the clothes on his back, his military uniform, and, as my father tells it, two clean undershirts but he had carried with him throughout those years of the war the firm conviction that he wanted to be a pastor. This was a decision he had taken at the age of 14, inspired by his confirmation pastor in the Bekennende Kirche, the Confessing Church, which provided an alternative to the dominant Nazi ideology at the time. And he knew that there was a fac faculty of theology at Marburg University. So, the day after his release from POW camp, my father went 
in his military uniform to see the dean of the theological faculty. He told the dean that he wanted to study theology, but had no school-leaving certificates to show he was eligible. His papers were all with his parents in Russian-occupied East Germany. That's not a problem, said the dean. We know we can believe our young heroes. I don't think my father felt like much of a hero at the time, but be that as it may, the dean took down his name, and so my father was registered as a student of theology at Marburg University. And the rest is history. Well, not quite. My father's career might still have taken a different turn. Remember, his career goal had been to become a pastor. He did not have any ambitions beyond that. When at the age of 23, he had finished his exams and his degree in theology, and he was ready to become a vicar in a congregation. But my, fa my father's father, my grandfather, said to him, look, you finished your studies so quickly, and you'll never get this time as a student back. I'll support you if you do another year of study at the university. So I guess we need to be thankful to my grandfather for seeing the potential in his son, because my father then decided that if he was going to study for an extra year, well, he might as well start a doctorate. So my father went to see Professor Rudolf, Rudolf Bultmann to ask him if he could do a doctorate with him. My father's original research topic idea was to work on the parables of Jesus. But this was not within Bultmann's specialization. My father would have, would have had to go to Göttingen and do his doctorate under the New Testament scholar there. Luckily for him and for us, he took up Bultmann's dissertation topic suggestion which was to work on the Apostolic Fathers. But I guess he wouldn't have passed up the opportunity to study with Bultmann. And by then, he also had personal reasons for staying in Marburg, as he was already engaged to a fellow student from, a German from the German faculty, my future mother. Well, there are more stories from those early years in his career that my father shared with us and that I could share with you. For example, how when, as a vicar, in a little village in the north of Germany, after that extra year at Marburg University, on his days off, he used to cycle about 90 kilometers each way to his hometown of Harburg to get books from Hamburg University for his doctoral research. Never having seen my father on a bicycle, I find this very difficult to imagine, <laughs> but my mother here can testify that this is true. But I must be brief. What strikes me in my father's early biography, which, like any biography, involves a combination of personality, experience, and chance, is that he had good mentors who helped him choose his path. His pastor, who showed him as a young 14-year-old that there was something better to believe in than Nazi ideology. His own father, who encouraged and enabled him to deepen his academic studies. His own, his Dr. Vater, or Dr. Father, PhD mentor, Rudolf Bultmann, who set him on his path as New Testament scholar. And later, James Robinson, who first got him, got him involved in the Nag Hammadi project. So my father, who was Dr. Vater, and mentor to so many of you here in the room and elsewhere in the country and throughout the world was himself nurtured by the inspiration, support, guidance, and scholarly conviviality that he received from his mentors. Having received these gifts so plentifully in his formative years, he later passed them on to his own students, mentees, and colleagues. Butman, he said, used to invite all his doctoral students to his home. Sound familiar? And I am certain that you also are passing on the same sorts of gifts you receive from mentors like my father onto those of you that you inspire, work with, and mentor. Thank you very much.
It's a pleasure to be in front of you today. When Paul asked the question, O death, where is thy sting? I think he did so confidently only because he had not been stung by the passing of Helmut Kester. Helmut will be missed deeply by his students, his colleagues, his friends, and family. For me, Helmut was one of those once-in-a-lifetime kind of people. I had the great honor of being one of his students at Harvard Divinity School from about 2001 to 2010. I first took a class from him and Mimi Bonds on Paul, and I was hooked. I had the good fortune of working as his teaching fellow for many years, along with other students, and I was able to travel with him and Gisela to Greece and Turkey on two different trips. I'm humbled to be able to contribute to the memorialization of this great teacher, a truly legendary figure. I want to remember Helmut as a teacher, whose impact on me and so many others was not just intellectual, but personal. Let me be clear, Helmut's students loved him. His teaching and lectures could be electrifying and were to me. In those years, he would teach two classes, one at the Divinity School in the afternoon and one at the Extension School in the evening. If you were lucky enough to be one of his teaching fellows, you got to teach both classes and he took you out to dinner in between. It was the same lecture, but a little more spicy the second time. As a teacher, what did he teach me? Of course, he taught me how to read texts closely and critically. He taught me how to respond to students' work. He taught me how to ask good exam questions. He taught me to enjoy teaching, to enjoy life, and to enjoy the relationships one may build with students and colleagues. He was kind enough to drive me home after classes, and I came to cherish that moment, when I, the times when I could challenge something that he'd said in class or ask for further clarification. After four hours of lecturing, he never lost patience or seemed to get tired of my endless questions on the way home, sometimes finishing up the conversations parked in front of my apartment, as long as he could make it home for Frontline. He was afraid of nothing, one of the fiercest historical critical scholars I've known, but did so from a position of faithfulness for his theological vision of the community of God that has served as a model for me and countless others. In his capacity as a great teacher, once or twice he almost killed me. Of course, these weren't entirely his fault. Once there was a parked car that out of nowhere rammed into, the passen into my passenger door as we took a turn out of the Changshou parking lot. We didn't stop. <laughs> there was also that time when the VW van wouldn't start. We got out to check the engine or to check the battery when we realized that the puddle that we were standing in was several gallons of gasoline. I calmly but firmly alerted Helmet that he should very carefully step away from the puddle and extinguish his pipe. He cared nothing for expensive things, living modestly and giving away much. He was an incredibly kind and generous man. He was passionate about his service at Unilu and was instrumental in the fundraising for the shelter there, including a large donation that he and Gisela made. In these actions, he taught me what a good life could be. Helmut was a storyteller. Anyone who knows his biography knows how rich his life was for amazing tales sharing meals with him, listening to his stories, being a guest in his home as so many other students had done, I always felt that he cared about me both intellectually and personally. Of course, I only share a small glimpse of his life and career, but from my perspective, I can remember the things he loved to talk about. First, I believe that he loved Garrison Keillor and the tales from Lake Wobegon. Perhaps this love was born out of Lutheran duty. He loved his garden. When I tried to take up a garden myself, he came to my home to inspect and give me advice. He seemed to really love quinces and talked about them a lot. He loved Gisela and his family. Gisela was a partner and participant in his work and teaching, especially on the archeological trips. He spoke often of his family. He loved walking. The man could walk. In his 70s and 80s, he was still out walking 
and hiking his students up mountains and hills in Greece and Turkey, all while smoking. I will always remember standing on some archaeological ruins with him while he wore a floppy hat, a plaid shirt, and vest, and listening to him richly describe the site and its importance, or taking a break from the hot sun in the shade, or sitting with him during a meal to share tzatziki. We will all miss Helmut's laugh, his smile, his keen mind, and incisive interpretations, his loving demeanor. We will miss his handshakes, his hugs, and his invigorating presence. I take comfort that his presence endures in his books, his students, and his family, blunting death's sting. An object, an image, a text, or some words produce our memories to keep him with us, and I am glad to keep him with me until we meet again. Amen. So I met Helmut first in the fall of 1980 when I was an entering student uh, for ministry, and I asked Helmut, uh, what language should I take? And of course he said, you should take Greek. And I asked him why, though I thought I knew, and it turned out that I didn't know because what he said was, well, if you take Greek, ancient Greek, you have some hope of reading everything that was ever written in the language. Uh, that is a truth to which I cannot attest. But Helmut taught me many other things to which I can attest. He wrote, and these are oft-quoted words in his introduction to New Testament, the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus are best explained as a catalyst that resulted in the missionary activity and founding of the churches, but also in the crystallization of the tradition about Jesus and his ministry. But most of all, the resurrection changed sorrow and grief into joy, creativity, and faith. Through the resurrection, or though the resurrection revealed nothing new, it nonetheless made everything new for the first Christian believers. Helmut always held that the most important thing that was made new in this possibility was the newness of love that transcended the individual, love that could inspire a loving and just community and it was always his hope for the Christian church. And that was the truth that he taught me. As Helmut knowingly approached the end of his own life, the scholar who had so assiduously researched the end times in early Christian literature preached last spring of, his, of this shared love in his personal uh, experience. He said, it is written on the front of, or it is written on the front of your bulletins. In love, in the love that we experience, in the love that we receive, and the love that we give, there is a presence of eternity among us, the presence of eternity that tells us already, now, what the light will be at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the valley of death, the love that sustains all our lives. And so we believe along with him that the bright light of love and the new life that awaited him are at the end of the tunnel. Will you pray with me, please? Merciful God, we thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We thank you especially that in the night of our grief and in the darkness of our sorrow, we are not left to ourselves. We have the light of your promises to sustain and comfort us. Give us the vision to see in faith the consolation you intend for us. O God, our strength and our redeemer, giver of life and conqueror of death, we praise you with humble hearts, with faith in your great mercy and wisdom. We entrust Helmut to your eternal care. We praise you for your steadfast love for him all the days of his earthly life. We thank you for all that he was to those who loved him 
and for his faithfulness to the church. We thank you that for Helmut all sickness is ended and death itself is past, and that he has entered the home where all your people gather in peace. God of all mercies and all comfort, in tender love and compassion, embrace those who sorrow at his loss. Be their refuge and their strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Show them again the love of Christ that passes all human understanding. O God, whose days are without end and whose mercies cannot be counted, awaken us to the uncertainty of human life, and by your Holy Spirit lead us all our days, that when we have served you in our generation, we may be gathered with our forebears in the confidence of a certain faith, in the comfort of a saving hope, in favor with you, our God, and at perfect peace with the world, through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. And now into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant Helmut, acknowledge we humbly pray, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a son of your own redeeming. Receive him into the arms of your mercy and into the blessed rest of everlasting peace and into the company of the saints of light. Amen.
keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with kindness and give you